Holy Father, our Father and God in heaven, Father, we thank you for another day of life and breath. And Father, in each passing day, we are reminded that life is precious, that life is fragile, and life is just a vapor. And so, Father, we thank you for allowing and extending grace and mercy upon us here today with breath in our lungs and a heart that beats. And so, Father, in spite of myself, may I be a blessing, not a curse to your people. I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit, that your people be blessed by the preaching of the word. Father, today, your people here have made a sacrifice to be here. There's many other choices that they have, but they chose to be here. So, Father, I ask that you honor their choice, that they be blessed, and that we see the love that you have for us and the work that you desire for us to do so that we could be an instrument of healing and restoration in this broken and dark world. So, Father, may this message be a blessing. May this message prepare us even more closer to your son's soon return. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. October 31st is a day that Bible-believing Christians have a great aversion to. It is a date that we equate with evil, and rightly so. But October 31st is not a day of evil, it's a day of good. It's because October 31st, now don't stone me now, I see some faces now, you're about to, oh, he's gone crazy. October 31st is a day that is very important for us as Protestant believing Christians. In fact, in October 31st, 1517, a priest and Roman Catholic scholar named Martin Luther approached the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, and nailed a piece of paper containing 95 revolutionary opinions that would begin the Protestant Reformation. Without Martin Luther nailing these 95 theses, our church would not exist here today. These theses was a condemnation of the papacy because the papacy at that time was selling the forgiveness of sins in the form of indulgences. Instead of going to God directly, the people in Europe during the Dark Ages would have to go to a priest, pay money for each sin that they committed in order for them to be forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a lot of money to spend. Isn't that correct? Praise God, salvation is free, amen? And Martin Luther, being that he studied the Bible and he looked at the Bible, he saw the corruption of the papacy, he saw that Babylon is causing confusion about the forgiveness of sins, declared war on Babylon. And there was a fundamental text that Martin Luther read as he studied the book of Romans because at that time in European history, Only the priest had access to the word of God. And because Martin Luther sought to search the scripture for himself, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 verse 17, this is the central thesis that lightened Martin Luther's mind that something was wrong at that time of the selling of indulgences. Notice the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 verse 17, the Bible says this, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith faith. And so that text brought revival and reformation and a transformation. That one man in the middle of Germany, in the middle of nowhere, because Germany was geopolitically at that time was not that significant. One man turned the world upside down. You know, each of us can turn the world upside down in our own sphere. We may look like we're insignificant, but when we have God's word and God's truth, God can use us in our spear to turn our spear upside down. And so this statement by Paul, that the just shall live by faith, lightened Martin Luther's mind. And so how does the just live by faith? Because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, So therefore, we're sinners and we're guilty, but the just are not guilty. So how does the just live by faith? Notice the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth, or trust, on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So the just that live by faith believe that 
Christ justifieth the ungodly. Now, as you know, obviously, I'm Asian. Pretty obvious. In Asian culture, we equate certain behaviors with being good and being bad. We equate you study well, you go to Loma Linda Med School or Dent School, you are a good person. Any other profession, you're a bad person. (laughs) And even as an educator and a teacher, you equate certain behaviors as good and certain behavior is bad, and we say, oh, this person's a good person, and this person's a bad person. The reality of the matter is we're all bad. We're all evil. We're all sinners. We have sinful human nature. As a high school history teacher, I respect sinful human nature because I see it all the time. So we have to get this out of our mind. Just because we come to church and pay tithe, that automatically makes us good. Or because people do these things and people don't do these things, that by default they're good. The reality matter is we're all bad and we all need to be justified or forgiven by Jesus because we are all ungodly. And so notice what inspiration says in Manuscript Releases, Volume 20, 1891, a penitent sinner contrived before God discern Christ's atonement in their behalf. And accept this atonement as their only hope in this life and the future life. Their sins are pardoned. This is justification by faith. So justification by faith is believing that your sins are pardoned. Do you believe Jesus at his word? When Jesus says something in the Bible, do you believe it? That's faith. Simple and direct. Every believing soul is to conform his or her will entirely to God's will and keep in a state of repentance and contrition, exercising faith in the atoning merits of the Redeemer and advancing from strength to strength, from glory to glory. Pardon and justification are one and the same thing. So justification by faith is that Jesus forgives and also forgets your sins. And so... With the Protestant Reformation sweeping towards Europe, not only did Martin Luther transform the European area and that known Western world theologically, but also transformed it politically, because now when people start to study the Bible for themselves, saying that why should we follow the Pope when we have the Bible ourselves, the Pope is not our authority figure, God is our authority figure, that bled over to why should we follow these divine right kings that claim that they're appointed by God, they're just men, we can rule ourselves and liberty of conscience and democracy swept throughout the world. And so not only did it transform theologically, transform socially and politically, and people had agency, and now people promoted free will and liberty of conscience, and the world was being turning upside down, and the challenge of authority caused many in authority to fear. And so Satan did a counterattack. Notice what Satan is declaring war at. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. The Bible says this, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of the seed, which keep the commands of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Satan is waging war with Bible-believing Christians that keep the commands of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And so the question is, who does the dragon use as an instrument to war against God's people? Notice the Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 1. The Bible says this, And I stood upon the sands of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon the horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet was as the feet of the bear, and his mouth was the mouth of a lion, and the what? Dragon gave him his power and the seat and his great authority. So the dragon waged war by using the beast power to declare war upon God's people. So the beast power is the instrument. So the question is, how does the beast power wage war against God's people? Notice the Bible says in Revelation 13. Verse 4, the Bible says this, And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So the dragon uses the beast to make war. And in verse 7 it says, And it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So the beast power uses 
persecution to declare war upon God's people. But there is another description of this beast power. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 17, verse 3. And as we study Bible prophecy, there is a consistent principle. God repeats and enlarges as he describes it over and over again. Because as human beings, we're easy to forget. I'm a history teacher, I know. So God repeats and enlarges and gives more detail, leading truth systematically. And there's another description of the beast. Notice the Bible says in Revelation 17, 3, So he, he carried me away in the spirit unto the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So here, there's an added detail. Not only is this beast of seven heads and ten horns, but a woman is riding this beast. Now, when someone is riding something or a beast of burden, that person that is riding on top of that beast of burden is controlling that beast of burden. Is that correct? And so this woman, as the woman in Bible prophecy, represents a church. This religious entity is controlling this political entity. Takes orders and direction from this religious entity. And so what sin does this woman that ride this beast commit? Notice the Bible says in Revelation 17, 2. And whom the kings of the earth had committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So this woman, this impure woman, has illicit relationships with the political powers of this earth. In other words, this system, this religious power, is mixing church and state together. The original blueprint was the papacy. But then the Protestants imitated that in the Church of England, with the Anglican Church, because the Church of England, the head is the King of England. But it transferred over to America with the Puritans because they started the church-state system that if you don't go to church on Sunday and believe how the Puritans do, we will persecute you. And today we see in the form of Christian nationalism where people are seeking to use the government to impose Christian values by force, not by love. And so this apostate church-state system continue till this day. And so, what is the name of this woman and this beast called? Notice the Bible says in Revelation 17.5. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. So this entity, this church-state system that we declare war on is Babylon. And so, as Martin Luther led this revolution against this church-state system, notice what other Protestants said about this. Notice what John Wycliffe said. He came before the Protestant Reformation. The Pope is Antichrist here on earth. Martin Luther said, we here are the conviction that the papacy is the seat of the true and real Antichrist. Personally, I declare that I owe the Pope no other obedience than that to Antichrist. Goes on. Notice what this one other reformer says. Roger Williams. Notice. The papists in their wars have ever yet had both in peace and war, victory and dominion, therefore... If success be the measure, God has borne witness unto them. It is the most true. What Daniel in his 8th and 11th and the 12th chapters, and John in Revelation 11th, 12th, and 13th chapters, write of the great success of Antichrist against Christ Jesus for a time appointed. So we have here John Wycliffe, Martin Luther, Roger Williams. Continue on. John Wesley. The beast is the Romish papacy. To this and no other power on earth agrees the whole text. And every part of it, in every point, as we see, with the utmost evidence from the propositions following, it is one and the same beast having seven heads and ten horns, which is described in this in the 17th chapter of consequence. His heads are the same, and his horns also. The beast is spiritually secular power opposite to the kingdom of Christ, a power not merely spiritual or ecclesiastical, nor merely secular or political, but a mixture of both. Continuing on, Charles Spurgeon. I am ashamed that sons of the reformers should bow themselves before the beast and give so much as a single farthing to the shrine of the devil's firstborn son. Take heed yourselves, ye Protestants, lest ye be partakers of her plagues, 
touch her not, lest ye be defiled. Give a dachim to her, or a grain of incense to her censers. Ye shall be partakers of adulteries, and partakers of her plagues. Every time ye pass the house of Popery, let a curse light upon her head. Thus saith the Lord, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and, have, and God hath remembered her iniquities. These are the Protestant fathers. And today, Protestantism has renounced this teaching. And if you have doubt about the remnant church, the last Protestant church that declares the Pope as the Antichrist is us here today. We that remain, the Seventh Amnesty Church. You know, there's questions about are we the remnant church or not. This right here, we see here, every other Protestant church, look it up, in the recent 15 years in this ecumenical movement, have renounced this teaching that the papacy is the Antichrist. We are the only church that remains that declare this message. And so, notice what Fuller Theological Seminary says. Many of the great Christians of Reformation and post-Reformation times share the view of prophetic truth and identify the Antichrist with the Roman papacy. Among adherents of this interpretation were the Waldenses, the Hussites, Wycliffe, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, Tyndale, Latimer, and Ridley. And so we see here a stream of people that expose the papacy. And what's the sin of the papacy? They claim to be God, and they claim to forgive sins, taking the place of Jesus. But how do we war against this thought and this thinking? You see, nowadays, Christians thinking that we need to use political means, even physical means, even armed insurrection means to stand up against the tide of evil. But God has given us a specific weapons to stand against evil. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4, For when we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty God to the pulling down of strongholds. So our weapons are not physical, our weapons are spiritual. And that's what we need to realize. So how will Babylon be defeated? Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 18.1, as we go to the meat of this message. Revelation 18.1, the Bible says this, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having what? Great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. So we need to break down what that great power is. We need to break down what lightened is and his glory. And the Bible interprets itself. So when we compare scripture with scripture, by the way, there's a free app called eSword. It's not a paid announcement, by the way. It's free. eSword is like a concordance. You know, a concordance back in the day, we had a huge thick book with every word in the Bible, with the Bible verses corresponding to it, with the original Hebrew and in Greek, e-sword is free. You could type in the word and do word studies right there, and your Bible studies will be powerful. E.sword.net. Anyway, the Bible says this, and after these things, I saw another angel come down with great power. What does that great power mean? What is that great power? Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. The Bible says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for this is the what? Power of God unto... So that great power is the gospel of God and the power unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For there is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith and is written, the just shall live by faith. So this great power of the gospel that believeth is that the just shall live by faith. Now notice what else power means. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 verse 6. The Bible says this, that ye may know that the Son of Man hath what? Power on earth to what? Forgive sins. So that great power is that Jesus forgives our sins. That's that great power. Now what power was promised to the early church when the disciples started to make things right and realize their identity and mission? Notice the Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The Bible says this, And ye shall receive what? Power after that the... Holy Ghost has come upon you, that ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So that great power is the Holy Spirit that will empower the message that Jesus forgives your sins, that the just shall live by faith because of the power of the gospel and it will be preached to all the world. That's the great power. You see, this is what's called the loud cry message. 
And many of us think that this loud cry message is just exposing the evils of society, to expose the evils of government, to expose the evils of various things that are going on, to track the Pope's every movement and put YouTube videos on that. But that great power, according to the Bible, this loud cry message is that Jesus forgives your sins. And notice what the early church experienced when they preached this message with power with the Holy Spirit. Notice the message they were supposed to preach. Notice what the Bible says in Luke 24, verse 47, 48. The Bible says, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. So the message is that Jesus forgives our sins, a message of repentance. Now, what is light? Remember, the angel has great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. What does that light mean? Notice what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible says this. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness had shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of is the character of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He has power to forgive sins. That is the power that lights the earth with his glory. What is this glory that the angel is giving? Notice what the Bible says in Exodus 33, verse 18 and 19. Moses asked God, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will gracious, and will show mercy upon whom I will show mercy. So the goodness and mercy of God is the glory of God. And what is the goodness of God? Psalms 86, verse 5. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. So this angel that lightens the earth with its glory is a proclamation with great power that Jesus forgives our sins. Now, some of you might think, wait a minute, we're having this. We already know this. This is just precious truth. No, this is present truth. Because Adventists, as we teach, we have an added dimension of this message called justification by faith. Not only do we experience forgiveness of sins, but there's a transformation of heart that we love him because he first loved us. And then we start to obey him. That's the added missing sauce to the ingredient that no other church has. And so, by declaring this message that Jesus forgives and forgets your sins to a lost and broken system and world. Notice what happens next. And cried mightily with a strong voice, this angel that declares forgiveness, mercy, that Jesus forgives your sins, that the just shall live by faith, by the power of the gospel, to preach unto the world. Notice what happens next. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, has become the habitation of devils, and hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth had committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth were waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye might not be partakers of her plagues, that you receive not of their plagues. In other words, even in this corrupt church-state system, God has a people. God has a people that have yet to experience forgiveness of their sins. So therefore, we have to declare that Jesus forgives and forgets your sins and gives you victory over your sins. The power of God. And this loud cry message exposes the sins of Babylon, habitation of devils, hold of every foul spirit, wrath of our fornication, illicit relationship with political powers, establishing a forced worship church-state system, and by exposing the evils of this system of forced worship, we tell these sincere people that may have interpreted Scripture improperly, but now they know the truth, they receive it, and they come out of the system. There is hope for every person here today. It could be someone from evangelical Protestantism. It could be someone from the papacy. It could be some secularist. It could be some hippie. It could be some LGBT person. But when they hear the message that Jesus forgives and forget our sins, the Bible says, come out of my people, and they will come out. 
And that's why, as this election's coming up in 2024, we as Adventists must disentangle ourselves from political persuasion, saying that I'm this political party, or I want this president, or that president, because we're destroying our influence. God is designed to establish his global kingdom here on earth, and when we align with a nation, we destroy our influence. We're Adventists, not Democrats or Republicans. I vote for Jesus. How about you? Let's make Adventism great again. Amen? (laughs) So the Bible says that after this message, this gospel message, that Jesus is seeking to forgive and forget our sins, this message of justification by faith, that the plagues will fall in Babylon. Now, notice how those that receive the plagues react when they receive the judgments of God. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 16, 11. And blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. In other words, they made their final decision and nothing will change their minds. God is merciful. God doesn't close probation on us. We close the door on God, brothers and sisters. If there is an opportunity for us to change our minds, God will honor that. You know why I know this? Notice what the Bible says, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us on word, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. And those that repent not of their sins have made their final decisions, and nothing will change their minds. And when we look at it, in Revelation chapter 20, when the New Jerusalem comes down, the second resurrection happens. Ellen White says that the wicked of all the life story of how Jesus sought to save them, that sky that turns into an IMAX screen for them, they see their life story, they see how Jesus is seeking to forgive and and save them, and they rejected it. What do they do? They storm the city. They repent not of their sins. They made their final decision. And so we are to give this message, this loud cry message, that Jesus forgives and forgets their sins so that this work could be finished. So what brings repentance? Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. The Bible says this. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4. The Bible says this. Or despises thou the riches of the goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth us unto repentance. And what is the goodness of God? The Bible says in Psalms 86, 5. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy. This is the message that we need to declare in our third angel's message. This is the missing ingredient. That's why we've been in a perpetual conveyor belt, not making forward progress for the past 30 years. We see here end-time events happening right before our eyes, but we're stuck because we're not declaring this message. And that's why we're walking around the wilderness another 40. I pray not, because I'm getting old. And so, what does Babylon claim to do? Why is this forgiveness of sin such an issue? Notice, Revelation 13, 6, And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. What is blasphemy? A man who claimed to forgive sins. And what does the papacy do? Pope is claiming to forgive sins on Twitter now. This is what makes Christ and Antichrist a contrast. This is what makes the Antichrist, Antichrist, usurping the authority of God, changing times and laws, and also claiming to forgive sins. We focus on changing times and laws, rightly so, because we know in history that the papacy switched the Sabbath onto Sunday. We know that, very much know that. But we do not focus that the papacy is asserting that they're forgiving sins. And that is wrong. We need to expose that as well. There needs to be a balance. And once there is a balance in exposing that untruth by declaring the truth which is in Christ Jesus with power, then Jesus will come. But we need to know this message. And so, we see here that the Pope is claiming to forgive sins. What is Jesus seeking to do? Notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. The Bible says this. For Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and what? Washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us 
kings and priests unto God and His Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is seeking to wash us from our sins with His own blood. But it gets sweeter than that, brothers and sisters. The papacy is a hierarchy where He centralizes power upon Himself, but Jesus is seeking to share His power with you and I. That's the difference. Do you know in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18 through 20, Jesus says that, to whom that overcometh will I share my throne with you? So we say, oh, I want to go to heaven. But do you know that what going to heaven is? You're going to be a co-ruler of the universe with Jesus. What is the only world that rebelled against God in this entire universe? What is the only world? Planet Earth. Who's responsible for killing Jesus? You and I. The same earth that rebelled and caused the pain of God so much, that brought so much sadness to all of heaven. God is giving the privilege, not to the righteous angels and the holy angels. He's giving chance to us sinners to co-rule with them in the ceaseless ages of eternity. I don't know about you, but that is powerful. And so, what does the blood of Jesus do? Notice the Bible says in Ephesians 1.7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So the blood of Jesus... Forgives our sins. How do we access the blood of Jesus? 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 and 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from how many sins? Unto 2,300 days, and then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. And cleanses us from all sin. You know what Jesus is doing right now in the sanctuary? He's blotting out the records of our sins. He's seeking to not only forgive but to forget our sins, to blot it out. That's the purpose of the sanctuary, is to blot out the record of our sins. Now, as an Asian person, I remember everything bad that happens to me. I keep grudges. It's hard for me to forget. But the creator of the universe seeks to forget all the terrible things we have done to him personally. Responsible for killing Jesus. But he's seeking to forgive and forget our sins. If we say to ourselves, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, there's an interesting teaching sweeping the Seventh Avenue Church right now and I had to hit this up for our young adults. I know Instagram and Twitter and TikTok, you have these cool people that talking in a very fast and very dynamic manner and saying that they know spirituality. And we oftentimes, I've noticed as many young people, just believe whatever they say in social media. And there's this thing sweeping the Adventist church right now by certain influencers saying that by only confessing our sins just one time, we're good. Just one time confession, we're in Christ, we don't have to confess ever again. And a lot of young people are falling into this trap. This is Calvinistic predestination, once saved, always saved business. You know, it kind of astounds me. Throughout the years, we've co-opted heresy from the Jehovah's Witnesses that Jesus was the created being. Now we're talking about once saved, always saved. We adopted the evangelical model of religious liberty. We've been adopting everything else, but we have a distinct message that is going to be pure, unadulterated to these worldly influences. And notice what inspiration says. Testimony Church, Volume 5, page 648, paragraph 1. The Lord would have us come to him daily and all our troubles and confessions of sin, and he can give us rest in wearing his yoke and bearing his burden. His Holy Spirit, with its gracious influences, will fill the soul, and every thought will be brought into subjection to the obedience of Christ. It's a daily experience. Now, what else does the blood of the Lamb do? Notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, as I wind things down. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. What does the blood of the Lamb do? Forgives our sins. So what will empower us to stand against the Sunday law? The blood of the Lamb. What is the blood of the Lamb? Receiving the forgiveness of sins. And once we accept Jesus our Savior and ask for forgiveness and we receive His forgiveness, guess what? We're ready for that crisis hour. And we make it complicated. It's the blood of the Lamb that allows us to overcome Satan, 
and his powers. What does forgiveness do? Notice the Bible says in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, 48. The Bible says this, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. So the Bible says, when our sins are forgiven, we love much. We love him because he first loved us. So the question is, what is love? Notice the Bible says in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. First John chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, For this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous or burdensome. Now, a lot of my friends now are married with children, little children, a lot of girl dads. Very cute. But without love, having children can be very inconvenient. Is that correct? Cleaning the baby, (laughs) feeding the baby, spending money on the baby, doing everything, your whole life is revolved around the baby and the child. It is very, very inconvenient in a non-emotional sense. Now, California law has laws against child endangerment and laws against child neglect. I don't think the parents are thinking about the consequences of not following that law when they're feeding the child, cleaning the child, and loving the child. They're not talking about the punishment of the law. They're doing it not because they have to, but because they want to. It's because they love God. We have to get to a space in our head. It's not like, oh, I have to keep the Sabbath. I want to keep the Sabbath. Because when we want to keep the Sabbath... We will keep the Sabbath no matter what obstacle is in our mind because we choose to do it. Just like it is inconvenient to have a child, but when you have a child, you'll sacrifice and you go through all the depths of hell and back for that child, all the inconveniences. Why? Because of love. We love him because he first loved us. Whatever inconveniences comes with following Jesus, we will do it because we love him and we want to do it. And that can only be experienced by understanding how much Jesus is willing to forgive and forget our sins. In fact, notice what First Selected Messages, page 366 says, From the most holy place, Christ has sent his angel to warn us, no man can cover his soul with the garments of Christ's righteousness while practicing known sins or neglecting known duties. God requires the entire surrender of the heart before justification can take place. And in order for a man to retain justification, there must be continual obedience through active living faith That works by what? Love and purifies the soul. Because when you love something or somebody, any inconvenience you will take for that love. I I live in L.A. and I know, but Taylor Swift sold out SoFi Stadium how many times? Three or four times? I don't know. You know what inconvenience people went to get tickets to that concert? Why? Because their love is upon that artists that can't forgive their sins. That's the human love that we have. God's implanted that love in us already to love and love with whatever inconvenience. God is desiring to awaken that love towards him so that when that crisis comes, we could stand and still remain because we love him because he first loved us. And that's what God is desiring to do. And so, what will God's people experience during this time? Notice the Bible says in Revelation 14, 12. The Bible says, Here are the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commands of God and have the faith of Jesus. This is the third angel's message, the part that we neglect. We focus on 9-11. We don't focus on 12. But this is part of the third angel's message. So the patience of the saints, they, 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 they keep the commands of God and the faith of Jesus. And what is it to be patient? Notice the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. The Bible says this. The Bible says this, love is patient. Here are the patience of the saints. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all 
things. Here are the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Why? If you love me, keep my commandments. How? We love him because he first loved us. So the question is, what is the faith of Jesus? Notice. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So in other words, the Bible says that the faith of Jesus is to be justified by faith. In other words, do we believe that Jesus has forgiven our sins? And notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the righteousness of God on the faith of Jesus Christ is to be justified freely by His grace. So the faith of Jesus is that Jesus sees beyond our present condition and is willing to forgive us and all those who are justified are those who will believe that God will forgive them. And so, Ellen White writes this about the central thesis of the Third Angel's message. Review and Herald, April 1, 1890. Several have written unto me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the Third Angel's message, and I have answered, it is the Third Angel's message in verity. This is the message, brothers and sisters. The papacy is claiming to forgive sins, but we have to lift Jesus, that Jesus is the only source of forgiving our sins. And Jesus is the only source of righteousness. And when we receive the righteousness of Christ, our hearts transform, and we love Him with all our hearts. And in that crisis hour, we can keep the Sabbath because we are not going to be compelled by force because our love will reign through no matter what circumstance. They could take away our economic earthly support. Friends could turn away from us. Family could turn away from us. But because we love Jesus so much, we will remain because that love is fixed in our hearts. Because we receive the forgiveness of God. So what is justification as I bring some final points? Romans chapter 4 verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted unto righteousness. So what happens when the ungodly are justified? Notice the Bible says in verse 7, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Jesus is seeking to forgive and forget our sins. And notice what the inspiration says in Faith and Works, page 99, paragraph 3. As a sinner looks to the law, his guilt is made plain to him and pressed home to his conscience, and he is condemned. His only comfort and hope is found in looking to the cross of Calvary. As he ventures upon the promise, taking God at his word, relief and peace come to his soul. He cries, Lord, thou hast promised to save all who come unto thee in the name of thy Son. I am lost. Helpless, hopeless soul, Lord, save or I perish. His faith lays hold on Christ, and he is justified before God. You know, the father of faith is Abraham. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 4. But Abraham, if you look at his life story, there are moments of lapse in his faith. I mean, he threw his wife under the bus, not one time, but twice. That's pretty bad. For his own self-preservation, to have her marry a person she desired not to marry. Sarah's forgiving too, amen? Abraham also lacked faith in that Sarah was now in the age of 90. Women have a certain time period and window where they could bear children, is that correct? And God said that she would bear a child even in her old age. Abraham lacked faith. But Abraham was forgiven by God. 
And when that time came, when God came to him and said to him, I need you to go to Mount Moriah to sacrifice your promised son Isaac to be a sacrifice. He had to believe and trust God at his word. And at that time, there was no record of a resurrection. The first resurrection came with Moses. So there was no record of a resurrection at that time. Abraham had to rely and trust in God's word. And when Abraham heard the message of God, knowing he was forgiven for his past transgressions, what did he do? He obeyed him. His faith worked. You understand what I'm saying? His faith worketh by love, and his faith works because it worked by love. And Abraham demonstrated obedience because he was forgiven. God desires that experience for you and I. And so, what will happen Babylon at the end of this war? Revelation 17, 14. The Bible says this, They shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of the Lord and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. In order for this war to be finished and the Lamb to win, we need to declare this message, this loud cry message that Jesus forgives our sins. And what does the Lamb do? John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And what does that Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world do for us in these last days? Revelation 7, 14, And I said to him, Sir, thou knowest, and he said to me, These are they that come out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Forgiven people make it to heaven, brothers and sisters. Forgiven people that love Jesus because God loved them. And so, in closing, what is the message that we need to declare? Lastly, events, page 200. The Lord, in his great mercy, sent a most precious message to his people through elders E.J. Wagner and A.T. Jones. This message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification through faith in the surety, invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. Many had lost sight of Jesus. They needed to have their eyes directed to his divine person, his merits, and his changeless love for the human family. All power is given unto his hand that he may dispense rich gifts unto man, imparting the priceless gift of his own righteousness to the helpless human agent, this is the message that God commanded to be given to the world. It is the third angel's message which should be proclaimed with a loud voice and attended with the outpouring of his spirit in a large measure. The message of A.T. Jones and E.J. Wagner, the message of justification by faith. The message that Jesus is seeking to forgive and forget our sins. And once we receive that forgiveness, we love Him with all our hearts. The message, if you want a resource found in the books, Lessons by Faith, that you could download free on PDF, that gives this 1888 message in its clarity. Once we integrate this message to our health message, to our messages on end-time events, to our messages on the Sabbath, once we integrate this to our message... This is the power that will bring people out of Babylon. We have divorced ourselves from this message, and that's why we are on a treadmill. But God wants us to change. You see, there's a book called Return to the Latter Rain by Ron Duffield on Jones and Wagner and the 1888 message. It's a historical book. And one of the accounts is where Elder Jones is preaching this message, and it was so powerful that during the middle of the message, people were so touched that Jesus loves them so much that they started singing, Jesus paid it all. Just spontaneously, Jesus paid it all. And they started singing, the whole congregation was an appeal song. This message was preached in, in Berrien Springs at the academy there at that time. And it was stated that there was such a wide conversion of the students that they shut the classes down and they just had worship all day. I want to live to see that again. I want to live to see that again. 
I want to be eternally young. It's hard for me to accept my age. But I come to a place where now I'm at a time, and some of you are in your 20s, you'll get to this time too, that I'm calculating how many more prime years of life that I have where I could be cognizant and do the things that I can. Because time is precious. What if we commit our times and energy to bring a new revival? Let's finish this work, brothers and sisters. How many more kids are going to be murdered in the Middle East? How many more beheadings and terrorism will happen? How many more school shootings and mass shootings will happen on this earth? The world is crying out in its brokenness for something to happen, and they're seeking the arm of the state and government to fix things. But we have Jesus, and we can tap into the power up on high to usher in the second coming. Jesus is already ready to come, brothers and sisters. But the Bible says in Revelation 14 that he's waiting for the harvest to be ripe. In order for us to be ready, do you know how much Jesus loves you and seeks to forgive you? Do you know how much Jesus has done so much and is willing to be broken in our behalf so that we could be healed? Do you know how much the depths that he went to to the depths of experiencing the second death at the cross for you and I. A flavor of it, so that we can walk with him in the sea of glass. When we meditate upon these things, and think on these things, and dwell on these things continually, day after day, and by beholding, we become changed, and we start becoming more loving, and more gracious, and more understanding, and more empathetic, and it'll give us the power to give this message, the work will be finished. And God is designed for this to happen today as the start of this journey. Let us commit to this message in everything that we do, to give this loud cry of this third angel, to call people out of Babylon. Our Father and God in heaven, Father, forgive me for this feeble message, but in spite of myself, Father, I ask that you compensate for my weakness, that this message will resonate upon people's hearts. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've given this message that you forgive and forget our sins to declare to the whole world. That you're seeking to lighten the earth with your glory, to share with people that you're not seeking to punish or destroy, that you're seeking to save and redeem. And brothers and sisters, our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Is there someone today say, Father, today, I want to know more about this message of justification by faith. I want to behold more of the wondrous love of your forgiveness towards me. I want to have the desire day by day, Lord, to learn more about this justification by faith message. Help me begin this journey where I can receive this message with gladness and share it with others. And if that's your desire, I ask you to stand with me. Our Father and God in heaven, we are standing here today because we need help. Forgive us our pride and self-sufficiency. May we receive this message and this love implanted in our hearts so that we, with gladness and with patience, declare this bold message to a world that is broken and dying that needs the gospel, this everlasting gospel. May you use feeble and broken people like us to declare this message. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.